Hi, this is Chris Finch. I'm lead pastor of City Walk Church. I want to thank you so much for listening to this podcast. If you don't already know, the best way to stay connected with City Walk Church is with our app. Just go to your device's app store and search City Walk Church to find it. Whether you've been a longtime follower of Jesus or you're just investigating faith, our hope is that this message will help you take your next step in that journey. If you're in the area, we would love to have you come join us in person. For more information or to plan your visit, check us out at citywalkchurch.com or on social media at WeAreCityWalkCA. All right. Good morning, City Walk. How we doing? All right. Good deal. Well, it's always an honor being able to stand before you guys, being able to worship with you guys and share with you guys. And if you've been around for a while, you know every single time that I speak, I remind you guys that I'm not one of the OGs on the leadership team that flew out here from Florida to start this church. No, I actually grew up in Pismo Beach, California. So yeah, somebody, come on, who was that? Shout out to the Central Coast, okay? So if you're visiting, my name is Matt Lynch, and I'm part of the teaching team here, but I'm not one of the OGs that started this church. That's not me. So I grew up in Pismo Beach, like I shared, hometown of the Zac Efron. If you guys know who that is, yes, he's from Pismo Beach. And I actually spent my childhood there, went through elementary, middle school, high school there. And I graduated high school there at Aurora Grande in year 2007. And so you can see a couple of photos of me and my friends at graduation. You know, we're just hanging out, enjoying our last days together, our last moments. And so, uh, no, but true story, even though Zac Efron's cropped in the back, we actually did go to the same high school. We just never saw him. And then he was there. He was a year above me, and then he was there at graduation. Everybody's like, oh, dang, he actually is graduating with us? Because he was already filming movies and everything. Um, and little, you know, I'll sign autographs later, but a little tidbit I want to throw in there is I actually coached his little brother in basketball, which is really sweet. And so a really funny story is we're in the middle of a game, and I'm coaching. I'm in high school still. We're coaching. Dylan Efron's on the team. And this referee gets starstruck when Zach walks into the building. Like, Zach walks in the building. This grown man is like. And I'm like, dude, give the kid the ball. Let's play basketball. What are we doing here? Yes, it's Zach Efron. We're trying to play basketball, though. And so that's part of my childhood, growing up there, uh, enjoying the Central Coast. Uh, If you've never been down to Pismo Beach, man, take a visit. It's just a, a beautiful place to live or to visit. And then somewhere along my senior year, um, I wasn't even following Jesus in high school, guys, but something was really pulling out my heart to just try something new. So my senior year, I was like, you know what? I'm about to leave California and go to college all the way on the East Coast, literally from water to water. So I grew up by the beach in Pismo. The college that I went to was surrounded by three sides of water on the Chesapeake Bay. So I literally went from water to water as far away from home as I possibly could. And I don't even know why. I just felt like something was telling me to go. Like I said, it was probably God directing my path before I even was following Jesus. But I just took a big jump, went to college out in Virginia. And during my time out there, that's where I met my wife. So praise God I went, right? I could have not went and then not have my wife and kids. Um, But went out to Virginia, spent like eight years there, got married to my wife, and... We found out shortly after we got married that my mom got diagnosed with breast cancer. And so we're like, you know what? Let's pack up our bags and let's head on back to the West. And she's from North Carolina. 
So it was a pretty big move for her. But I'm like, hey, let's, let's pack our bags. Let, let, let's do this thing. So literally, I used to drive. If, you've been, if you know me since I moved here, I moved here in a green Honda Civic that was like the hoopty of all hoopties, right? And we packed it up. And I'm telling you, we had stuff all up to the ceiling. The people at our church are like, are you seriously driving that across the country? I say, you going to buy me a new car or what's up? We got to go, right? Mom's is sick with breast cancer. We're going to make this mob in this Honda. Just pray for us. And so we drove from coast to coast. We made it, okay? I want to say uh, we got to about Arizona, Death Valley-ish, and we had no air conditioning, right? So we're sweating bullets, right? But we made it. It's all good. So we're here today. And we spent about five or six months back in Pismo Beach while my mom was going through chemo and radiation. And when the doctors were saying, hey, things are looking good. You know, cancer's going into remission. Your mom's going to be fine. We're like, okay, cool. So then we looked at each other like, okay, babe, what's next? <laughs> what in the world are we about to do next? All right, Pismo Beach is super expensive, right? And we were at this place in our life where we're like, you know, we want to start, start a family. We're ready to get married. We're ready to start having kids. Or we're already married. We're ready to start having kids and start our family and stuff like that. So um, our prayer request was really simple. God, send us somewhere where we can afford to live on a one-income household on a teacher's salary, right? Because we wanted to have kids, and we had already discussed, like, we'd like for you to be home with the kids. That's just what we had envisioned for our family. So if we stay on the Central Coast, we're going to be living on someone's garage or next to some cardboard boxes because we just couldn't afford to be there on a teacher's salary. So I called a couple of friends of mine asking for prayer. You know how it goes when you're about to make a big decision. Hey, man, pray for me. I don't know what's going to happen next. I don't know what door to walk through, da-da-da. And I called one friend, and he was like, hey, you should move up to Yuba City. I said, where? No, no joke, though. I had never heard of Yuba City before. Like, growing up in Pismo Beach, I don't, my geography was off. I thought that Sacramento and the border were literally, like, right next to each other. And so, like, I had I'd heard of Chico before, but I'm like, yeah, Sacramento and Chico are probably, like, five minutes away. And then it's, like, Oregon, right? Something like that. And so I had no idea he was living here because the last couple of years, he actually moved from city to city, and he had been in Yuba City for a couple months now. He's like, yeah, man, they need teachers here. Uh, you should move up here. And I'm like, uh, never heard of the place, but sure, I'll put an application in the teaching uh, in the school district and see what happens. So I put an application in, and the whole time I'm thinking, like, dude, I don't even know where this place is. So I go to Google. The reviews on Google... Do not do this place justice, first of all. I like this place a lot more than what Google was saying about it. But I'm like, for someone who's never been, I'm like, dude, what? Oh, man, like, first of all, this is it's not sounding good online. And then it's like six hours away from my family, which I was hoping to be a little bit closer to my family than six hours. And so it's like, ah, well, we'll put the application in and see what happens. And uh, then I got a call, right? Get a call back. Hey, we want to interview you. I'm like, all right, cool. This is getting a little bit more real. We're going to drive up to Yuba City. So we're back in the hoopty. All right? Coming up to 99. We get here for the interview. Interview goes well. And I remember driving back, and I asked my wife. I'm like, hey, so what are we going to do, like, if they give me this job opportunity? Like, if they call back and they say, hey, we want you, are we going to do this? Like, is this going to be a place for us? And, you know, she's like, well, you know what? As we were driving up to 99, those orchards, they kind of reminded me of, of home a little bit in North Carolina. And I'm like, for you? 
right? But she grew up, her, parent, her grandparents owned 99 acres in North Carolina with farm everywhere, right? And so she was coming up to 99 and was like, oh, this kind of is like a taste of being back in my grandparents' farm. I'm like, where's the beach at, cuz? Where is, what is going on here? Uh, so anyways, I was like, all right, babe, if it, if it feels a little bit like home for you here, then we'll just give it a shot. We'll, if they call me back, we're going to make this thing happen. And then they called back. And then, and then I was like, oh, dang, this just got realer. This is even more real. So now I got all these thoughts in my head like, man, I got this job opportunity. Like, do I really want to live in the heat like that? Because we came up for the interview like the end of May, and I'm already sweating bullets. Like, why is it so hot up here? Where is that coastal breeze from the beach? Like, what is this? So I'm like, man, do I want to live in that heat? Do I want to live this far away from my parents? Do I want to live in a town that doesn't have that many people that look like me? Do I want to share my parking space with chickens? Like, what? (laughs) Is this going to be a place for us? And really, guys, what it came down to is it came down to me asking myself this question. And this is a question that I really want us all to really put at the center of our life, and it's going to be a focus of ours today. And it's something that if you're a follower of Jesus, we have to ask ourselves this question on a regular basis. And here's the question. Is God's call greater than my comforts? Point blank period. Is God's call greater than my comforts? Because we can seek out comforts in everything and miss God's call on our life. And so it's an important question that we have to grapple with and At this point in my life when I was making this decision, it was not easy, but I had to look at the big picture. I remember somebody in college speaking a word over me that really stuck to me, and they they said, you know what, I feel like God is calling you to be a pioneer. I'm like, all right, cool, pioneer. They're like, no, like God's going to call you to places you've never been. He's going to call you to do things that you've never done, and I just feel like that's a word that you need to hold on to. So when I'm in this crossroads of like, Yuba City or Comfort or somewhere I've been or that word just came back to me like, I've been called to be a pioneer. I'm going to go places that no one in my family has ever been. I'm going to do things that people in my family have never done. And that's just the call that God had in my life. So I had to take my comfort and push it to the side and believe in what God had called me to and who he called me to be. And it, like I said, it's not the script that I had written out for my life. But even to this day, I'm learning to really trust that God's call is greater than my comfort. And for many of you, you're probably already like, yup, I know exactly what you're talking about, right? Whether you're a follower of Jesus or not, I think we've all had that tension and that grapple of making decisions based off of our comfort, right? It's something that we just naturally want to do. We, we look at the decision we have to make, and we gravitate towards comfort versus anything else. And truthfully, there, there's probably somebody in here right now who stepped out of their comfort zone just to be here at church. So you know what I want to do? Let's clap it up for the folk that came to church this morning. You know what I'm saying? Because especially, like, if you are here and you're investigating faith, like, this is a big deal to come to church. Because if you're, if you're not following or maybe you're just trying out a new church, it's one thing being, like, a new student at school And, you know, you make friends pretty quick. But, like, there's just a bad reputation for Christians. Let's just just be real about it. So if you're visiting, you have all those thoughts that you're about and, like, are they actually going to speak to me? 
Do they like me? Are they going to judge me because of my hair? Am I dressed the right way? Are they going to be rolling their eyes? When they find out that I'm not even a follower of Jesus yet, are they going to love me? Are they going to welcome me? If they find out that I have struggles with pornography, are they still going to walk with me? If they find out that I've stepped out on my wife, are they still going to walk with me? If they find out that I have a drinking problem, are they still going to walk with me? If they find out that I have this, this, that. And those are real thoughts that people have. So if you've stepped out of your comfort zone to be here today, man, I respect you for that because it's not easy to step out of those comfort zones and to join a church or to join a gathering of people. But I want you to know that our mission statement here at City Walk Church is literally to walk with people into a growing relationship with Jesus. I don't care where you're at. I care where you're going. And that's the heart of our church. It doesn't matter what you did yesterday, two weeks ago. I don't care what you did this morning. (laughs) Like I said, it's not about where you're at. It's where you're going. And this is a house that I can say where since I've been apart for almost three years now, this is literally what we live out. We just want you to come, be loved on, and we want to walk with you into a growing relationship with Jesus. Amen? Amen. Amen. Y'all feel me on that. I appreciate that. Um, So like I said... The tension of wanting to stay in our comfort zones is very, very real. And here's a quote by P.T. Barnum, and he said, he said it this way. He said, comfort is the enemy of progress. Like, if you want to make progression towards anything, if you want to grow in any aspect of your life, you're going to have to step out of your comfort zone, or growth just will not take place. If you want to lead your family well, you're going to have to step out of your comfort zone. You can't always go on the limbs, you know, I'm just too tired for this, right? Every time I tell my daughter I'm too tired, she's looking at me like, and? <laughs> Did you hear me? I want to go ride my bike. And? I said, All right, here we go. Let's go outside. And let's... We're literally doing that after church. We li- I have to go home and, and ride, ride her bike with her because she's already asked me. So after church, I'll be riding bikes with my daughter, no matter how tired I am. It just is what it is, right? But that's just part of life is, is stepping out And if you're trying to lead your family, getting out of that comfort zone is just something that you have to do. And if you're a parent, you already know what it is. You're like, yes, it's uncomfortable. If I could stay in bed a little bit longer, your boy would be in bed. But when you have a four-year-old that wakes up at the crack of dawn, it's go time. It is what it is. But here's the thing. We cannot accomplish what God has called us to if every decision that we make is based on our comforts. We can't. And if you're an athlete, so I'm a coach guy, so there's always some kind of sports tie in this. But if you're an athlete, you already know what it is, right? No pain, no gain, right? You, you have to get outside your comfort zone and work towards what you want to accomplish if you're an athlete. And I don't know if you guys have heard of this guy, but you ever heard of a guy named uh, Tom Brady before? You guys heard of him? He used to be one of the greatest quarterbacks in the NFL um, and then he retired like three weeks ago. So I don't know if you guys have ever heard of him or not because he doesn't play anymore. But Tom Brady, this dude understood that, the com- that comfort was an enemy of progress. If you've ever heard of this dude's training regimen, it was bananas. This dude would get massages before he would even start exercising. He would get massages after his workout. And then he would intentionally do brain activities like all kinds of these brain quizzes, to sharpen his cognitive ability and his uh, visual uh, perception 
of things so that way when he was on the field, no matter how fatigued he got, his mind was still sharp. Like, what? Who's doing that? No, what he's doing that? His diet, his recovery, he was very intentional and he knew that, hey, comfort is the enemy of progress. If I want to be elite, if I want to keep playing football into my 40s, I got to do some stuff that's not comfortable. And so maybe you're not an athlete, but you kind of get this idea of not latching on to comfort. Maybe you're a high school student and you're thinking about what in the ham sandwich am I going to do when I graduate, <laughs> right? Am I going to just latch on to what's comfortable? Am I, am I going to ask God what's next for me? and trust his plan for my life. Or maybe you're a college student, and you're trying to figure out what your career is going to be. Are you going to latch on to what's comfort by financially? Well, if I do this, I'm going to make this much money, which means I could do this, da, da, da. Or are you going to ask God, God, what do you have for my life? What are you calling me to do? And are we going to trust in that? Or maybe you're a spouse, newly married, or you've been in the game, and you're a longtime veteran in this thing. But as a spouse, maybe you're asking, how can I love my wife better? How can I love my husband better? And I promise you, God's probably not going to give you an answer that you're comfortable with. But if you want to grow as a husband and grow as a father, we got to step out of our comfort zone and do the things that God has called us to. All right? And so um, one of the things that I've also noticed is I know this is about myself, and you can probably agree, is that even when we sense the things that God is calling us to do, obedience is not always easy. Like, it's not always easy to give God that yes. Like, once you feel that tug in your heart, then the wrestling match really starts. God, you want me to do what? No. God, you want me to, no. You want me to say what? You want me to go where? No. Not comfortable for me. Ah. And we just push that voice as far down as we can, as far down as we can, because obedience just is not always easy. And sometimes, let's be real, we give God some lame excuses. <laughs> I know I do. I be giving him some, like, God, I just don't know. Like, if it's not comfortable for me, I'm just not in it, God. Give me a plan that's relative to my comfort zone, God. Why are you calling me? I didn't even, guys, this ain't even on my notes. I did not desire to be a preacher. Let me tell you right now. I remember I was waking up in the middle of the night with full-on sermons, and I'm like, why, God? Why am I having dreams of me standing on stage preaching in front of people and waking up and memorizing the entire sermon from my dream? Why, God? And then one of my mentors was like, bro, you need to start praying about whether or not you're supposed to preach because you have a whole word that you're sleeping on. And so I had to step out of my comfort zone, Right? And that's just what it is. It's not always easy being obedient and giving God that yes. And here's a prime example. And, again, if you've been around for a while, you guys know I tell on myself. It just is what it is. I, I tell on myself all the time. But a couple years ago, um, I found myself in a very tough season, just challenged with my purity, super rough season, a season in my life that I never thought that I'd be in. And prior to this season, I had so much pride, so much self-righteousness about my quote-unquote purity, right? Before I met my wife, I went several years without watching pornography, several years without having sex with anybody, several years of not even kissing a girl, like just like, 
me and Jesus, Team Jesus all the way. And I had this pride built up that, oh, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a pure guy. I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a holy guy. And then I found myself in this season where I'm not guarding my eyes. And because I'm not guarding my eyes, my heart is drifting. And it's becoming foul and impure. And I'm just like, where am I? How did I get to this place? And I sense God telling me, you need to come clean, bro. You need to admit where you're at with your wife. You need to seek out somebody to walk with you through this season because, first of all, this is not who I've called you to be. This is not who you even want to be. And you're lying to yourself, Matt, saying that you have this under control. The snowball is growing and growing and growing, and it literally came down to God making it very, very clear to me by speaking to my heart and saying, this is going to cost you your entire family. And I remember since then in my heart that if I, if I refused to handle this properly, if I refused to confess this and where I'm at with my wife and the, the struggles that I have right now, that this snowball is going to grow to a place where I'm going to lose everything. That was not a comfortable conversation at all. And I didn't have that conversation the next day. It was still weeks where I'm just like, there's got to be another way, God. There's got to be another way. I don't want to have this conversation. I'm going to just get things together by myself, and nobody ever has to know. But no, it just, his voice kept, when are you going to do this? When are you going to do this thing? And so I remember coming clean, and I remember telling her, like, hey, I need somebody to walk with me. Like, they've never walked with me before in this season. And so we sought out some, uh, some leaders and some mentors, and they walked with us for about six months through this season uh, to really help me out. Um, but I'm just blessed and gracious enough to have a wife who was willing to walk with me through that season. But it was not comfortable. But now we're at a place where we are way more healthy, way more loving than we ever have been. And I have to ask myself, if I wouldn't have stepped out of my comfort zone to have that conversation, to go through that counseling, would I even have my family? Right? And those are things that we have to grapple with is stepping out of our comfort zone on the other side of that is God's blessing. The other side of obedience is God's blessing. If we, if we silence that voice, we really don't know the blessing that we're missing out on. And so it takes us back to that statement that I made before that we have to ask ourselves, is God's call greater than my comfort? And luckily, I'm not the first one and you're not the first one who has had to grapple with God's call and their personal comfort. Abraham, Moses, David, the 12 disciples, Jesus. You go through the Bible and people are constantly pulled out of their comfort zone to do and to be who God has called them to be. And so that's exactly where we are today. We've been going through Joshua and we're going to jump into Joshua chapter 6 and look at how this uncomfortable situation for Joshua actually led to an amazing blessing when he trusted God and what God was speaking to him. So we're going to hop into Joshua chapter 6. It'll be on the screen. And starting at verse 1, this is what it says. Now Jericho was strongly fortified because of the Israelites. Basically what they're saying is Jericho had um, 
hid themselves inside their wall because they were afraid of the Israelites. They heard that the Israelites had God on their side and that they were about to start taking over territories. So the people of Jericho were really scared. So when it says fortified, it means that they were basically kind of like a turtle inside its shell. They hid themselves inside the walls and they were afraid of the Israelites coming towards their land. It says no one was leaving and no one was entering. Their walls were shut. The Lord said to Joshua, look, I have handed Jericho its king and its best soldiers over to you. Now, when I read the Bible, I like to put myself into the shoes of the person who's like the main character. And so when I read this, I'm thinking to myself, if I'm Joshua, like, okay, bet. Like, you're going to give me the city of Jericho? That's what's up, God. So what, am I going to get like an email to come pick up the keys? Are they going to just send them to me? Like, what's the plan here? You're going to give me the city? Cool, let's rock with it. Let's go. But nah. It wasn't quite that easy. In verse 3, this is what God says. Uh, Yeah, Joshua, I need you to march around the city with all the men of war circling the city one time. So again, if I'm Joshua, I'm like, all right, God, um, sounds a little strange, but I I get what you're trying to do. We're going to march around their city, and they're going to get so scared they're going to wave the white flag, and they're just going to hand us over the keys, right? We're going to intimidate them. I like that. I'm an intimidating guy. God, let's do that. But nah, that ain't it. Not quite. Because then God says, yeah, um, go ahead and do that for six days. Now, I don't know if about you, but if I'm Joshua at this point, I'm very confused. I'm like, okay, God, you want me to march around the city for six days? What are we doing here? You said you're going to hand me over the city. You want me to march around it six days? And we have to remember that this was a real moment in history. This isn't fiction. This isn't some, like, spiritual story that we're supposed to, like, grab some kind of spiritual meaning. Like, this actually happened. This was a real guy, a real man, who was praying to a real God and was seeking important guidance for his entire nation. And so I'm not trying to argue with God, but I put myself in Joshua's shoes, and I'm just like, Lord, like, what? I I don't understand this plan. Like, you said you're going to just hand us the city. I can understand, like, going and, like, you know, actually going into battle and getting the city, but you want us to just march around? Like, it just just sounds a little little weird, God, let me be honest with you. And then guess what? God gets even more specific. And God gets even a little bit more strange in Joshua's eyes. So let's go through this again in verse chapter 4. Let's get back to the text. Verse 4 says, and this is God still speaking. Yeah, Joshua, uh, have seven priests carry seven ram's horns, trumpets, in front of the ark. So now we're adding priests carrying ram's horns to this whole entire plan. Uh, But on the seventh day, so after six days, on the seventh day, I want you to march around the city seven times while the priests blow their trumpets. When there is a prolonged blast of the horn and you hear its sound, have all the troops give a mighty shout. Then the city wall will collapse and the troops will advance each man straight ahead. So let me get this straight, God. You want us to march around the perimeter of the city. And on the seventh day, you want us to do this seven times in military formation with 600,000 soldiers. I don't know if you guys knew that, but there were 600,000 soldiers who was marching around the city. And I don't know about you, but I'm still thinking like this, like, God, we finna look mad weird out here. 
a bunch of soldiers and priests, ram's horns, and we just marching around the city. They're probably peeking over the fence like, oh, dang, the Israelites went cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs. I don't know what they're doing over there. But, guys, we might be all right because they ain't pulling out no sword. They ain't pulling out no shield. These bros out here just marching. We might be all right. It just sounds weird. It would be like us, right, walking out of this parking lot, hicking the left, going down Walton, right? Once you get to Sunsweet Boulevard, you take a right, march on by, people are in and out. You wave to them, hey, double-double, I'll come back later, okay? And then you hit the 99, and then you come on back. Like, it would be, that's about how long the march was, right? Historians say it was probably about an hour-long walk, about two miles. So that would be about what it would look like for us to march around in and out and come back. But here's the thing. They did that seven times on the seventh day, carrying all their equipment. All Guys, I'm just trying to paint the picture for you. This is not a plan that a soldier and a warrior is like, oh, I'm down for that. No. And the whole entire time they're marching, the only thing that they see is 11-foot wall, 11-foot stone wall. Right, And so the uncomfortable thing, put ourselves in Joshua's situation, is not only is Joshua hearing this plan from God, he has to go tell people this plan. And he's like, I can only imagine, um, okay, so I'm going to tell these soldiers who are ready for battle that we're not even going to fight today. We're just going to march. Completely uncomfortable. So let's just see what Joshua does, right? Here's the plan of marching the city. And in verse 6, this is what Joshua says, or what he does. So Joshua, son of Nun, summoned the priest and said to them, Take up the Ark of the Covenant and have seven priests carry seven ram's horns in front of the Ark of the Lord. He said to the troops, Move forward, march around the city, and have the armed men go ahead of the Ark of the Lord. So Joshua just goes for it, right? He just says, all right, if this is the plan, let, I guess let's just go for it. And the thing is, Joshua didn't even preface it like the way most of us would preface it. Like, you know, when you feel led to do something by God, most of us would be like, all right, man, I got to tell you something, and you're probably going to look at me weird. It's going to sound maybe super spiritual or a little kooky, but, man, I just feel like God is calling me to blank. Like, Joshua doesn't even preface it like that. He just goes. God speaks his heart, probably doesn't make sense, but he just goes. But most of us, we probably preface it like, eh, I know this is going to sound weird, guys, and we try to like dumb it down instead of just being like, this is what God's called me to, and just moving forward. Joshua doesn't do that. But for most of us, God is calling us to something for all of us. And so fill in the blank. For some of you, like I said, for some of you, it's to just start coming back to church. And for some of you, that's uncomfortable, but you're here today. And some of you listening online, like that might be the next step for you. Is it just start coming back to the fellowship and start hearing the word of God on a regular basis? And for some of us, it could be maybe we need to really evaluate our circle of friends and who we're around and who has the biggest voice in our life. Maybe we need to be intentional about our friendships, getting connected into a city group, finding a place to serve, becoming a bridge builder. Maybe we're in a season of our life where God is calling us to a next step of service or just being around the fellowship more often. But God is calling us to something. 
And I'm going to be real with you guys. We, we talk about city groups a lot, not because we're trying to meet some kind of quota. It's not like, okay, statistics say we need to get this many people in city groups and da-da. No, we genuinely believe that if you're part of a small group of people who are all imperfect and are all trying to grow closer in a relationship with God, it's only going to benefit you and help you find freedom. That's it. That's, that's why city groups are huge to us. Because we can come to church on a Sunday and then hide Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, all we want to. But when you're in a group and you hear what God's doing in other people's life and how God is challenging other people's life, and you're like, dang, everybody actually is kind of just like me. Then you find a sense of freedom, right? And so that's why we talk about city groups so much. Anyways, let's jump back in this text. Yeah, I want to finish this out real quick. So uh, we're going to hop back, and we're going to go into verse 15, and we're just, let's just see how this thing played out. Let's see how it played out when Joshua obeyed God. It says, early on the seventh day, they started at dawn and marched around the city seven times in the same way. That was the only day that they marched around the city seven times. After the seventh time, the priest blew the ram's horn, and Joshua said to the troops, shout, for the Lord has given you the city. But the city and everything in it are set apart for the Lord's destruction. Only Rahab the prostitute and everyone in her house will, be, will live because she hid the messengers that we sent. But keep yourselves from the things set apart or you will be set apart for destruction. If you take any of those things, you will set apart the camp of Israel for destruction and make trouble for it. For all the silver and gold and the articles of bronze and iron are dedicated to the Lord and must go into the Lord's treasury. So the troops shouted, and the ram's horn sounded, and when they heard the blast of the ram's horns, the troops gave a great shout, and the wall collapsed. The troops advanced into the city, and each man straight ahead, and they captured the city. So Joshua listened, Joshua obeyed, and God showed out. And what's cool is I want to show you guys a picture real quick of Jericho. So archaeologists, when they dug up the ancient city of Jericho, what they found out was, like I told you, those walls were 11 foot tall, right? So when they were going through and just doing all their research and stuff like that, what they found was the stone walls had ash and rubble all on top of them. And what's important about that is it goes to show that the lowest part of the city was the wall. So it does, it mean, what it means is the wall had to have fallen and then the city get burnt down in order for there to be ash on top of the stones that were the wall. Because most times when you, when you seize a city, they would burn the city down first, and as a result of the fire, then the walls would fall, which means that the walls would be on top of all the ash. So now we don't even have to argue the truth behind what actually happened because archaeologists agree the only way that ash could get on top of the stone wall is if the wall actually collapsed first. Isn't that cool? We don't even have to debate this thing. Like, this actually took place. It's the only way that the ash could get on top of the walls. So the question is, though, what if they stopped on day five? What if they were like, man, Joshua, this plan is real dumb. I knew this wasn't going to work. God ain't doing nothing. Walls still standing. They're still inside their city gates enjoying everything. Um, but Joshua stayed consistent to the plan to show that God's call is greater than his comfort. Day six, I'm sure there probably was some like, Lord, you better show up tomorrow because 
We've been marching six days in a row, and this is getting weird. Please show up on the next day. But God showed that God, Joshua showed that God's call was greater than his comfort. Because if it was a matter of comfort for Joshua, in my opinion, I doubt he would have even shared the plan. Like, if it was a matter of comfort, he probably would have just been like, I'm not even going to share with them what I think God is speaking to me because it just sounds weird. And along our journey, I think it's safe to say, friends, that there's going to be a time when God calls each of us to trust what he speaks to our heart, no matter how weird it seems and no matter how uncomfortable it may be. And I remember over my 14 years of walking with Jesus, I can remember a very, very uncomfortable time when I was 19 years old and I told my friends, I'm going to follow Jesus. I'm going to stop smoking, stop partying, stop drinking, da-da-da. And how uncomfortable that conversation was. At the end of that conversation, what they do? They laughed at my face. And I was like, oh, it wasn't really the response I was expecting to get, but it was just uncomfortable. We were literally in a car. They were planning a party. Yeah, we're going to do this, da-da, we're going to have this there, da-da-da. And I was like, guys, I'm not going to the party. I'm not drinking no more. I'm not smoking no more. I'm following Jesus. Blah! You follow Jesus? Yeah, right. It was uncomfortable. But I had to speak out on what God was doing in my heart. I couldn't just hide that because every time I tried to hide what God, was going, what God was speaking to my heart, I ended up compromising. But once I started to speak the things that God was doing in my heart, it gave me some courage to live them out. But every time I tried to be like a closet Christian, like, I don't want nobody to, do what, no, nobody to know what God is doing on my heart, it just kept me in my comfort zone. And next thing you know, I slipped back into bad habits and all this. But once I was like, bro, this is who I am. I'm going to follow Jesus. Like me or not. Bang with me or not. This is the direction of my life. It gave me a sense of freedom to be able to just share people what God was doing in my life. And so... Uh, I'm going to be a little transparent on this, this next example because it's just true, right? One of the other uncomfortable things in my walk with God has been a transition of becoming part of a predominantly white church. If you've ever been to black church, it is so different. I'm talking like shouting, emotions everywhere, people in tears at the altar. Sometimes worship is so intense that the pastor won't even preach because we're just all just trying to cry out to God. And so when I felt this tug in my heart that God was telling me to be a part of a predominantly white church, I was like, Lord, that's different. Like, will they even, like, will they, will they hear me? Will they understand me? Will I be able to connect? Like, it was just a new transition. But I have to say that walking that step has brought so much blessing because I've learned new things. And it's no shade to how I grew up. It's just in every single context, you learn new things. And I wouldn't be who I am today if I wouldn't have stepped out of my comfort zone and say, Lord, okay, you're calling me to go to a predominantly white church for the first time in my life. Well, let's do it. Right? And there was growth in that. And so I want to, I want to, Share this, because I think this is going to help us out, okay? And this is something that we all have to ask ourselves again, that I have to tell myself, and it's simply this. Stop trying to make it make sense. Stop trying to make it all make sense. Like, some of us try to calculate everything. Stop trying to make it make sense. God has a call on your life. He's given you spiritual gifts that are to be used in specific ways to bless others, not yourself. 
So when God wants you to use your gifts, sometimes it's not going to be in the context of your comfort, right? That's just the way that it works. And so will we do what God asks us to do? Will we be who God is calling us to be? We read through Joshua, and Joshua did not wait around for a plan B that was more comfortable. He wasn't like, yeah, God, I hear you, but uh, you're going to have to give me an alternate plan that's more comfortable and lined up with my comfort zones. Like, no, Joshua actually just did what God asked him to do. And what's crazy is the generation before Joshua, that's actually what they did. They tried to stay in their comfort zone, and as a result, they didn't make it to the promised land. They didn't want to be who God called them to be. They didn't want to do what God called them to do, and as a result, they saw the promised land from a distance. So getting out of our comfort zone is something that we should embrace and understand. It's going to be part of our journey, whether we like it or not. I can say right now that it's going to be part of your process, either right now in this moment or somewhere around the corner. Stepping out of that comfort zone is something that God is going to do in each of our lives. And it goes back to that statement I said earlier. This is going to cost you your entire family. Like, I know that's extreme, but for some of us, we're battling obedience in ways that are going to affect our entire family. Like, if we're going to be really honest, some of the things that you grapple with are things that either are going to positively impact the next generations behind you or negatively impact the generations that are coming behind you. Some of us need to give God a yes to just spend time with him. We never read our Bible. We never pray. And as a result, we struggle with habits. And God is like, freedom is in my, in my presence. Freedom is in a relationship with me. And you're grappling with all these things in your life. And those things are going to carry on. And your kids are going to be watching you as they grow up. Like, that doesn't line up with the Bible. Why do we go to church every single day and then you come home and live like that? It causes confusion. And some of us are grappling with some really deep stuff in our heart that we wrestle with coming into the light about because it's uncomfortable. But just like God spoke to me, this thing is going to cost me my entire family. I said, God, I got to come clean. I got to step out. So again, for some of us, filling in that blank, God is calling you to what? It could be laying down some bad habits that you've had for decades, been there, right? Maybe that filling that blank, God is calling you to, like I said, just spend time with him. Stop giving excuses of why you can't read your Bible, why you can't be part of a city group, why you can't serve on some, why you can't, like some of us, God is calling us to just take one more step of faith in being exactly who he called us to be and doing what he's called us to do. And whatever it is that God is speaking to you, I want you to be encouraged again, just like Joshua. God spoke, Joshua obeyed, and God showed up. And that is the same God that we serve today. It's not a different God. It's the same God that Joshua had to respond to. And so I've said this before uh, when I spoke in front of you guys, um, but imagine Imagine being part of a gathering that really lived like this. Like, imagine being part of a congregation, a gathering of people that actually lived like this 
on a daily basis where we all said, God, your call is way more important than my comfort. I'm not going to sit here and keep myself in this safe little boundary. I'm going to move to Yuba City and share my parking space with chickens. I'm going to, whatever it is. But I, I, I do not doubt that God is speaking something to each of us about some kind of next step. Because God is a God of progression. He doesn't save us to keep us living exactly how we are. He saves us to sanctify us. He sanctifies us to be used by him. So it's a progress. So somewhere on that spectrum, we all stand. For some of us, maybe it's like, I just need to say yes to Jesus and accept him as my Lord and Savior. Some of us, we've done that, but we're still at first base. And God is like, come on now. We've got to get off of this milk and get some meat. Come on now. We've got to start growing in our faith. We've got to start spending more time in the word. We've got to start serving. We've got to start being a witness. We've got to start, right? And so somewhere along that spectrum, we all have to say that God's call is going to be greater than our comforts. And so I think, and this is not something that um, is a, a, a pressure statement, but I, when I look at the city that we live in, and I think about God's heart, I think there's four things that are very practical that God may be speaking to somebody or that God may be calling our gathering. I don't know, but I look at our city and I look at the context, and there's four things that come to my mind when I think about people getting out of their comfort zone for God's call. And here's one of them. I think that we would see people, if, they, if we all got out of our comfort zone, hop into the foster care system like never before. Our area, this county and, um, and Yuba County, are above the state average in the amount of kids that are in the foster care program. There's kids waiting and begging and praying to be a part of a household of people who love them and who will walk with them in spite of their wounds and their hurts and the things that they don't even understand about themselves. I think that's one area. Kids are waiting for I work at the high school. And there's kids in the foster care system that just, they go from house to house, and this family has a, it's just, I'm not going to go into details with that, but I think that's one area. The second thing, I look at our area, and I think that if we were to get out of our comfort zone, maybe somebody would intentionally learn Punjabi for the sake of being able to witness to their neighbor, for the sake of being able to have a conversation with somebody about Jesus, to learn a new language so that way language would not be a barrier for somebody coming to know Christ, potentially, All right? And maybe for some of us, it's literally, like I said, becoming a bridge builder here at City Walk, right? We can do a little bit of God's work on our own, on our jobs and stuff like that, but it's nothing like having a house full of people where 90% of us are like, where can I serve? Where can I help the mission of the church go forward so we can reach more people and so people can find freedom in a relationship with God? Where can I put my hands to the plow? Where can I be used in this house so that way I can be a blessing for those that are coming to visit church for the first time and step out of their comfort zone? Maybe that's something. And the last thing that I think if we were all to be able to get out of our comfort zone, I think that we would see more of us looking at our job as an actual mission field, showing up to work, 
not to clock in, clock out, but to show up and say, God, where are you at work in my coworkers' lives? What conversation can I have, God? How can I serve the people that I share a cubicle with or that I share office space with? How can I guide conversation in a way that gives you glory? How can I show up to work, God, being missional-minded more than ever before? So if you're here today and you haven't accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, I want to say that that's the starting point. That, that's your starting point. We said a lot about getting out of your comfort zone and all this stuff, but don't skip that one. That's the most important one. You might be grappling right now, wrestling with whether or not you believe in the gospel. It just sounds so much. I don't even know. Did he resurrect from the dead? Da, 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 and we wrestle. But that voice, you know is real. That wrestling match, you know is real. And so for some of us, our starting point today might be, Man, I just need to, I need to accept Jesus as my Lord and Savior. I've been putting it off. I've been wrestling with him. I sense him drawing me to him. Uh, but I keep giving all these excuses of why I'm not going to be a follower, da, da, da. And, and maybe that's you. And for some of us, maybe, like I said, we need to look at our life and ask ourselves, how much am I clinging to comfort? How much do I evaluate my decisions based off of what's comfortable for my lifestyle versus asking God, is this what you called me to, comfort or not? Are these the people you want me to reach, whether comfortable or not, whether they look like me or not? And maybe we need to just evaluate those couple of things and give God that yes, no matter what it looks like. So I want to say two prayers real quick. I want to say, first of all, anybody listening online or here today that is still investigating the faith, um, I want to encourage you just to, to say yes. I remember going to church when I was like an 18, 19-year-old, and I would leave church every Sunday being like, that pastor did some kind of deep research into my life, and he's cheating the system. I don't know how he did it, but... That wasn't God. He was manipulating something, and he knew everything that was going on. He had a conversation with my mama last week, didn't he? And finally, I had to be like, Lord, you are pursuing me in ways. I remember literally watching commercials on TV, and somehow God using that commercial to be like, you need me, Matt. You need me. Come on. So I just want to pray. So let's bow our heads. And if you haven't accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, whether online or here in person, I just want you to repeat this after me. Jesus, I sense your presence. I hear your voice. I admit that I've sinned against you, and I believe that you died on the cross for my sins. I confess that I need you, and so, Lord, please come into my life and save me. And for us, who have already made that yes to Jesus and we're struggling with our comforts, let's pray this prayer. Lord, thank you for this time together. Thank you for diving uh, into my heart and searching me out. And I pray, Lord, that you would give me the courage to respond to the things that you're speaking to my heart. Help me, Lord, to trust your plan for my life 
that you will never leave me nor forsake me, that things might not look the way I would like them to look in terms of my comfort. But Lord, when you speak, grant me the courage to say yes, as Joshua did, as Jesus did, as many of the greats of the Bible did. You are worthy to be praised, God. Strengthen me in your son Jesus' name. Amen.